uh, Bible reading today will be from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 to 29. So I will read that out now. This is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 to 29. This is God's word. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they, that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. This is God's word. Uh, fear is an ever-increasing an ever-evolving reality in our society. Um, even with all of our technological advances and material comfort that we have in our society, we still can't manage to get rid of fear. And in fact, fear is uh, becoming increasingly irrational. And if you don't believe that, then just uh, reflect with me on the last uh, several months uh, a bit beyond a year and think how, you know, we as civilized society could possibly resort to hoarding copious amounts of toilet paper and fleeing to supermarkets the moment a uh, uh, lockdown is announced. Uh, there has to be a certain level of fear in people to actually drive them to do things like that. Um, and some would say that actually our irrational fear or our heightened levels of fear in spite of the comfort that we have, it's largely because we as humanity have not placed our fear rightly where it should be, which is in the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And when our fear is not rightly given to God, it becomes misplaced and irrational toward all sorts of things. And this passage today is about the fear of God. It's about God's uh, bold proclamation that he gives there uh, at the end of this passage that we would have a heart such as this always that would fear God and would keep his commandments. So this passage comes on the back of the 10 words. So we've finished our, our time in the 10 words, the, the 10 commandments. And remember that Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is speaking to the second generation of the Israelites, uh, reminding them what had happened the first time 
that uh, the law was handed down to the first generation of the Israelites. And so he's now explaining to the second generation, re-giving the, the 10 words and then reminding them, hey, remember what happened when God gave this to the first generation. And so he's retelling what had happened. So for us, if you do have your Bibles, just uh, turn back with me to Exodus chapter 19. It's helpful for us to get a context of this, um, given that Moses is reminding the people of what had happened in this time. So in, in Exodus chapter 19, this is right before the 10 words are given the first time. And from verse 17 of Exodus 19, we read, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. That's quite a a sight that you get there. Imagine this mountain just burning with fire. Um, uh, Jasmine and I were in Scotland when everyone here had the the bushfires of um, not the last summer season, but the one before. But uh, I remember for any of you who were in Canberra in, I think it was 2003 or 2004, we had the worst bushfires that Canberra has ever had. Um, hundreds and hundreds of homes lost, uh, a number of people died. And I distinctly remember as like a 13-year-old standing on my roof um, just in the suburb of Monash, not far from where we are now, and looking over the hills at the back of Benython, and they were all completely on fire, uh, these huge flames. And I was on my roof as just pathetic 13-year-old with a hose, just ready to kind of hose down burning embers that were, were um, coming into our backyard. And uh, there was a sense of awe that I had there, just looking at these flames uh, that were just engulfing this mountain, and there was a terrible sense of fear. Now, imagine, uh, you know, at that point, I was uh, at least four or five kilometers away from these mountains, probably further, actually, at least 10 kilometers away. And uh, imagine being at the foot within a few hundred meters of this mountain that is just completely burning, smoke everywhere. Imagine the kind of fear that you would have there. And this is what was happening uh, for the Israelites at this time. And at this point, the Lord actually says to Moses in uh, Exodus 19, Moses, warn the people not to come any closer to this mountain or I will consume them. So God is saying, do not let these people come any closer. Don't let them break through or they will be consumed. And then if we go to Exodus chapter 20, just one chapter later, after the 10 words are given, we read in verse 18. Now, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So they're saying, okay, Moses, you speak to us. We'll do whatever you say. Just don't let this God speak directly to us. Or we know as an unholy people, we will die. Now, if we turn back to our passage today in Deuteronomy chapter 5, that is what Moses is reminding the people of. He's saying, remember, remember what happened at that time. 
Um, Moses says, As soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you all came near and said, If this continues, we will die. This great fire will consume us. They say, Moses, we need a mediator. We need someone to stand between us. And so they say, you continue to speak with God. Uh, As for us, we know we're pushing our luck. We're lucky to be alive now. So you just continue to, to act as a mediator. We'll do whatever you say. And in verse 28, God says, I have heard the words of this people and they are right in all that they have said. They are absolutely right to fear me in this way. And God then says in verse 29, and this is the key verse for today, this passionate declaration from God. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. That is what we need today. We have this same call from God. If only you had such a heart as this always to fear me. Such a heart that would fear me and obey my commandments so that it would go well with you. Now, what is this heart of fear that God is after? This is important to uh, unpack because um, as we'll go over soon, this fear of God uh, tends to be explained away in in certain ways. Uh, But this fear... From the context that we have in in the Exodus account and the Deuteronomy account, it is clearly a fear that recognizes God's burning holiness. It recognizes his anger towards sin and his power to consume anything that is unclean before him. In verse 24, the people say, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and still live. But if this goes on, this great fire will consume us. That's the fear that was in their hearts, a realization that we can't stand before this holy God without mediation or this this, this fire will consume us. Their reaction was one of terror. I mean, we read in the Exodus account, it says when this happened, they were afraid and they trembled. Uh, there was a a great fear upon them. As I said, there is a great danger uh, when people who are sometimes well-meaning, other times not so well-meaning, they try and explain away the fear of God as as just respect. Now, of course, there is respect and reverence that we have, but to explain it away is just saying, well, this is just God saying you need to respect me. It simply doesn't capture the reality of this. I mean, you would have to read these accounts with a blindfold on to come away with that conclusion. Like you just clearly see this fear is something very significant. It's a, it's a trembling. And see, the reason it can't simply be respect, though respect is, is an aspect of it, is because you can have a level of respect for someone, but have no fear of them. In fact, you can simply have a respect for their position. Like you might have a respect for a senior person in your workplace. And so you're respectful towards them, but really you uh, do not have any reverence toward them. Uh, You're simply respecting the position. And in your heart, there is nothing internally that would offer any sort of deep respect towards that person. So this can't simply be talking about just a, a level of respect. This is talking about a a trembling. It's the kind of trembling that the Apostle John 
when he was confronted by the risen and glorified Christ as he was writing the book of the Revelation and as he's confronted by Christ, he falls at his feet as though dead. That's the kind of fear that is happening. This apostle who walked with Jesus, who knew him, there is still a, uh, this deep reverence and fear that would cause him to just fall at his feet as though dead when he sees the risen and glorified Christ. Or sometimes uh, people sort of explain it away as the fear of God is really just a fear of being away from God. And uh, again, there's truth in that, like the fear of God means that, of course, we don't want to go anywhere else, but it can't just be, you know, a fear of uh, being away from God. Again, there could be someone that you have no respect for, but they offer a form of protection to you. And so you would be afraid of being away from them because your protection would be gone. You're really just sort of using them. There is no internal fear or reverence toward them, but you are certainly scared of being away from them. Uh, that's not simply enough. And often many professing Christians can have that sort of mentality or rather um, posture, which has no internal reverence before God. But they recognize that there are benefits from following Christ. And so they will stay simply to obtain the benefit. And this is talking about Something more than that. It is a fear that recognizes God's complete power and wrath against sin. His, his burning holiness that comes out when, when sinful people are near. So as the mountain itself trembled in these accounts, as God came down and spoke, the people also trembled at this sight out of fear that they might be struck down by something so mighty. Now, of course, we, as those who have trusted in Christ, have been cleansed and purified. And so there is no fear of condemnation in God. Um, but there must remain for us a fear of God that stems from our recognition of his holiness and his hatred of sin. So God is still the God who says, like he does in Isaiah 66, these are the ones whom I look on with favor those who are broken and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Is there a trembling in your life before the word of God? Is there a trembling before him or is there a lack of reverence that maybe someone could point out? So there is a necessary fear of God that only comes by recognizing his complete and utter holiness which necessarily involves his wrath against sin. Now, what should this fear produce? Um, it's obviously not meant to produce a cowering that makes us unable to approach God. This fear should produce primarily from this context a reverential obedience, um, a, a reverential obedience. So if you look at Exodus chapter 20, after the 10 words are given, and Moses has a really interesting statement. He says in verse 20, uh, to all the people who are just trembling, he says, okay, do not fear. Don't fear, guys, of, because God has come to test you so that the fear of him will be before you so that you may not sin. So he says, don't be afraid, don't fear, but God wants you to have fear of him so that you will not sin. So don't have 
an irrational fear that God is simply out to destroy you, that he's a capricious God that's just going to uh, fire down arrows from heaven and destroy anyone in his path. Don't have that kind of fear. That's not God. But God wants you to have a fear that recognizes his hatred of sin and therefore keep that among you so that you do not sin. Have a fear among you that would keep you from sin. So this is saying God's hatred of sin is there to deter us from sinning. There should be a fear, a reverential obedience that stems from uh, his holiness, his character, which we have been brought into that would then keep us from sinning. Now, this is not the only reason we live a life of obedience. There's far more to this, but it certainly provides part of the foundation for our obedience to our loving father. The, The fact that he hates sin and is completely holy and we have been purified, then that fear should keep us from doing things which go against his good design. That fear, just like if, if you have a, a loving earthly father who really doesn't like you doing certain things, it would go immediately in his face if you then go and do those things. You, you actually have a reverence for your dad, for your father, and so that reverence keeps you from doing things that he doesn't like. If only we had such a heart as this always to fear God and keep his commandments. Now, you might have some reactions to this understanding of fear and particularly how the fear produces obedience. And what I want to do now is just briefly survey a few of the barriers that we often have in our culture, which makes it difficult to grasp the fear of the Lord. So three barriers. Firstly, we are in an irreverent culture. Uh, um, Humanity has always struggled with irreverence, but particularly now, I mean, there are categories on streaming platforms like Netflix, where alongside uh, comedy and heartfelt, there's actually a category called irreverence or irreverent. Like, you know, if you want a little bit of irreverence in your life, come watch these shows. It's actually something that's appealing to people now. Um, and the church has become influenced by this where we sometimes treat reverence as something that is a bit archaic or old-fashioned. You know, it's a bit zealous, someone who's really uh, reverent. And so sometimes we feel like we have to um, make jokes, like if there's a little bit too much reverence in the meeting, someone feels like they have to make a little joke, like, you know, a socially acceptable holy joke to kind of loosen the mood a little bit. We sort of feel uncomfortable with that level of reverence. And uh, often this leads to, you know, many preachers displaying their comedy routine um, as they're preaching a sermon because uh, there's a lack of reverence in the church. There's a lack of fear among the people. And this irreverent culture that has influenced the church creates a barrier to the reverence which must be present among us in the fear of the Lord. There has to be a level of reverence among us. The second barrier is just an anti-authoritarian culture. I've spoken about this before a number of weeks ago. Uh, We struggle to have a healthy fear of God because we don't particularly like to submit to authority figures. And our day and age, because of the freedoms that we have, 
you know, give us an inch and we'll take a mile, we then resist authority even more. We've kind of uh, taken like the Protestant mentality that the reformers had of protesting against the, the Roman Catholic Church of the day. And we've taken that to the utter extreme where we now protest against everything. Every bit that grates against us, we hold a, a protest. We're very anti-authoritarian. And this has also influenced the church in our day by the way we think of church authority. Church authority is there as a God-ordained place of authority. It is his mouthpiece in a way uh, in the local church that holds a place of authority. You know, there was a time and there still is in many parts of the world today where uh, pastors and elders had a healthy form of reverence given to them. Now, I'm not talking about an unhealthy form of reverence where pastors are, are given, you know, a ridiculous pedestal that they stand upon and no one can approach them, no one can disagree with them. That's not what I'm talking about. But we've almost shifted totally the other way uh, where there is often a lack of reverence to, to God-ordained authority, um, you know, we like to bring the position down and even I feel um, a, a tendency uh, toward this. Um, like when someone, um, I'm usually, in fact, I'm more okay being called Tom rather than Pastor Tom. Uh, I probably prefer that because I want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm an equal brother um, in the Lord. Uh, but I also trust that this is a God-ordained place of authority and I don't take it lightly and that's why uh, the writer James says let not many of you desire to become teachers because you'll be dealt a harsher judgment uh, there's God ordained authority and I will be judged for how I shepherd you and so I tremble before that uh, but there is an authority uh, that comes with that and often we we bring that down in an irreverent way because we sort of have this anti-authoritarian streak about us. Uh, and if we resist authority, we're in danger of uh, resisting the authority that God has given. And therefore, there is very little place of fear before that God-given uh, authority. The third and last barrier that we have is an increasing victim mentality culture. Um, whether you want to simplify this as cultural Marxism or intersectionality, some of these terms that are thrown around like, um, you know, segregating or choosing to view society through the haves and the have-nots. And um, if you are part of an oppressed group, then you're part of the have-nots. And, uh, you know, the, the world is damaged and your life is, is damaged because there are these oppressors, usually white middle-aged men um, that, that oppress people. And obviously that comes because there has been some truth in the fact that, um, you know, typically white European colonialism uh, was not a good thing. That did a lot of damage, uh, but it's sort of been taken to the extreme where now... Um, if you are part of the have-nots, so if you're part of a, an oppressed group, um, then you are given a right to sort of have this victim mentality about you. And this is notwithstanding that there are genuine victims in society, uh, genuine victims of horrific 
things that uh, create, um, uh, you know, e- extremely wrong situations. There are genuine victims. But this is uh, talking about something different. Uh, victim mentality is where you choose to approach everything through the lens of a victim. So when something grates against you, maybe someone says something, it's probably going to be something wrong with what that person said rather than with you. And you view things through that lens. Your behavior is a product of your environment rather than you taking accountability. So it's not you that has to change, it's the environment that has to change. Uh, When misfortune happens to you, like getting a speeding ticket, you know, the problem is with the money-hungry government after innocent people rather than just you doing the wrong thing and speeding. There's this victim mindset which makes it really difficult to take accountability for sin. Not that this is not saying that victims should realize some sin in their life, but what this is saying is that 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 mindset where you choose to view the world as though you have been a victim, it makes it really difficult for you to then take accountability for sin, which is something necessarily linked to the fear of the Lord. One powerful example of choosing not to take the popular victim mentality, you may have heard this story before, is the story of American gymnast Rachel Denhollander. Uh, This was from a few years ago, and this is uh, perhaps one of the most powerful uh, stories of uh, choosing not to take a victim mindset because she was genuinely a victim, a victim of a horrific case of abuse. Uh, Rachel Denhollander was a gymnast who was molested by her coach. There was an American gymnastics coach who molested uh, several of his students. And uh, Miss Denhollander gave a witness impact statement at her trial that you can watch on YouTube. And without in any way minimizing the horrors of what she went through and what other women went through, She demonstrated what can happen when someone has been transformed by the forgiveness that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this witness impact statement, she looked at her abuser in the face and said, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt. So that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God. Which you need far more than forgiveness from me. Though I extend that to you as well. What a bold statement to look her abuser in the face and say, what you really need is to experience the soul-crushing guilt so that you would then experience the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Uh, Rachel Denhollander did nothing to deserve what happened to her. A total victim. And although many would say to her that she had a right to hold on to unforgiveness, not only that, but many would say she had a right to extend hatred to that coach, she instead chose to forgive her abuser in what could only be 
the supernatural grace of God could only bring that about. And this is the beautiful thing about the gospel because the gospel leaves no room for the kind of victim mentality of our day, which believes that if we are part of an oppressed group, then we never have to forgive anyone. We never have to take accountability. And let me be very clear, in a a situation like abuse, accountability is never saying, I deserve this. That's not what this is saying at all. Uh, Nor is this saying that people in uh, similar situations are not genuinely victims. Again, this is not about that. Accountability in this context, in contrast to a victim mentality, is saying if I have been forgiven by God the Father through the death of His beloved Son, then I am accountable to extend that same forgiveness to others. Like Paul says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And we hold that the blood of Christ is so pure to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We hold that the blood of Christ is so pure that no matter what sin anyone has committed, the grossest sin in the world, should they turn in repentance to their Savior Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ is pure to cleanse them. And that is what makes the gospel so beautiful. But the victim mentality of our culture frees people from ever taking accountability for their sin. And so therefore, why should we fear a holy God if we have no sin? Why should we fear a holy God if our problems are not because of us? They're because of our circumstances, our environment. They're because of oppressed, uh, oppressive people. So whether it is cultural irreverence, anti-authoritarianism or the modern victim mentality, you you have probably been influenced in some way to abandon a right fear of God. And uh, maybe it has even led um, some of you to believe that God's gracious love and his desire that we should fear him are incompatible. But as we've seen in this narrative, uh, God's desire that his people fear him is precisely because he loves them. God has instilled this fear to test you so that you may not sin. Fear is a healthy motivator for obedience. Ask any parent. I can't wait till Eliora gets to the age where she can comprehend what I'm saying to her so I can try and explain, hey, if you go out onto the road, you will die. And I, I want her to be afraid because I love her. I don't want her to go near the road where cars are. I want her to stay safe. I want her to be obedient to me. So I'm going to instill some fear within her when that is the case. But now she just stares with a blissful smile on her face, just completely unaware of the danger. Um, so this fear is instilled in a, a loving way. It is... It is for their protection. And in a similar way, God wants a particular fear to be within his people so that they would stay on the path of obedience. So our fear of God and our basking in his love are not incompatible. They necessarily go together. Fear is so that we may not sin. And uh, not sinning is walking in obedience to God. And we know, as John says in his letters, uh, the, the, the love of God is to keep his commandments. It all flows together. 
Now, let me finish with just looking at how we rightly have this fear of God in our lives, because there is one key difference to uh, the context of uh, the Israelites that we went over. Uh, There is something missing about the fear which was present at Sinai uh, that we have to understand. And it's not that for us the fear is gone. That's, that's totally not it. There must still be a fear. But it's more a case of where that fear drives us. See, we must always fear God through the lens of Jesus Christ. We always fear God through the lens of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, just turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at how the author of Hebrews talks about the fear of God in the lives of the worshipping community. This is in the second half of Hebrews chapter 12. It's where the writer says to the people, um, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Now, that is a description of the 10 words being handed down. Read that. You, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, the sound of a trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That's what happened. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, uh, you, you haven't. Don't worry, you haven't come to this place. Instead, you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now, this is not saying that we don't need to have fear. Notice that the writer doesn't discard the need for reverence. He still warns them in this passage not to approach God in the wrong way. He warns them not to refuse him. He reminds them that there were many who did not escape his judgment. And notice the very end, verses 28 and 29 of Hebrews 12. The author finishes by saying, let us offer acceptable worship. What is acceptable worship? It is with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire is again a reference back to the consuming fire that the people saw where they saw, man, this fire is going to consume us. So the author of Hebrews is saying, remember, have this fear among you. There must still be a fear, a fear that recognizes God is the same God who caused the people to tremble at Mount Sinai. But the thing about our fear is that our fear is a refined fear. It is both a fear of his authority and power, but it is also a fear of turning away from such a wonderful gift that we have in him. So we can't lose the fear of God's holy anger towards sin, which can so often creep up in our lives. But the key is where this fear drives us to. See, just like at Sinai, uh, the people feared and they wanted to get further and further away from God. Whereas our fear, the same fear of seeing the same God, wants us to get closer and closer to God. And how do we do that? Through Christ our mediator. And that is the key to this. That's why the author says, you haven't come to this mountain. You haven't come to Mount Sinai where there was no mediator. No, you, you have come 
to Christ. And this is shown in the picture of Deuteronomy because remember what the people were saying in Deuteronomy. They were saying, Moses, we need you to mediate. But Moses was never going to be enough. Moses was merely a foreshadowing of Christ, our perfect mediator. And that's why God says in Deuteronomy, the people are right to think this way. I've heard all that they have said. They are right to, 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 to think that they need a mediator. They are right to say that we cannot stand in God's presence without an advocate. They are right to say that. And this points us to how Christ has stood in our place to now become our perfect mediator. And this is what has happened. That's why the author says you have come to Christ, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So this fear must be present in our lives or else you will not rightly understand Christ's role as mediator. You won't even think you need a mediator. Those who forget or neglect this fear of God end up approaching Jesus in an irreverent way. They treat Jesus more like they're homey and you know, want to give him a, a high five. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, don't worry, I'm all good with JC, you know, like things like that. There's just a level of irreverence about them where they have not understood his holiness. And they end up treating Jesus more like that friend at school who had a lot of money. So you go and click with him when you need money. But really, you have no reverence for him. You have no care for him at all. You're just going to obtain a benefit from him. Jonathan Edwards described this as when people are too familiar with God. And what he meant by that is familiar in the sense of like if you have someone that you respect like you really respect, they hold a place of honor, then there are things that you would not do around them that you might do around your brother or sister who you're totally comfortable with, who you have no respect for, maybe not no respect for, but you're, you're very familiar in that sense. And Jonathan Edwards is saying, we must never become that familiar with God, that we forget his holiness, that we forget to have reverence. To have a godly fear and to revere Christ is to never become so familiar that you do not tremble before him. And if you have this, it makes you appreciate his mediatory role drastically more because you realize that this God who is a consuming fire and could end you instantly now allows you to boldly approach his throne of grace. Now welcomes you in and says, enter into my joy. As a child, and then you are filled with gratitude of this holy God who has forgiven such a debt as yours, and it propels you to a worshipful lifestyle. If only we had such a heart as this always to fear God, to tremble before Him, and to be obedient to His ways. So, a question to finish Is this your heart? Would, would this describe your heart when God is saying if only the people had a heart as this is this your heart is there a reverential fear of God present in your lives do you still tremble before him as much as you boldly approach him with joy as a child is there a healthy level of fear in your life I'm going to pray as we reflect upon that, and then um, I'll hand over to Andrew to uh, sing a final song for us. Father, we thank you 
for this reminder today that we are to have a fear before you. And we, we know that as the Apostle John says, your perfect love has cast out all fear. It has cast out fear of condemnation. It has cast out an uh, irrational fear that you would just uh, judge us capriciously. It has cast out all fear of man. But we know that we are left with a healthy fear that sees you as a holy God. And we walk in reverential obedience before you, this holy God, because you have extended your grace toward us so that we may walk in obedience to you. We ask that you would help us to have this fear so that your name would be honored, so that we would stay off the path of sin and that we would have joy because we know to walk in obedience to you is to have joy in you. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. May we do that in the fear of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.